I've come wanting to talk to you about a very important topic. I think we're on to, are, are we on to mine, Pastor Mark? There we are. I've come to talk to you about fear. I've come to talk to you actually more about faith than fear. But I want to start by sort of just establishing the thought of fear today. Because there's a lot of fear in our world, right? There's a lot of fear in our Christian world as well, isn't there? A lot of Christians that are dealing with a lot of fear and anxiety. Uh, anxiety is a cousin of fear, a kiss and cousin. They're very, very closely connected and related. Worry would be another uh, word that we'd put there with anxiety. Oh, my goodness. What, are, there, are there any things to be worried about today? <laughs> Anything at all? Oh, my. Hey, friends, come on. Let's get in touch with each other. Let's be real with one another. Our world is an anxious-making place today. And it is offering, it is spitting out further things broader and wider to get anxious about every day. Am I not right? What are some of the things we could be anxious about today? No one knows one. <laughs> no, I know you're a little bashful, and it's a big audience in that big group. The economy, yes. And the fact, will the economy survive? Are we headed to a crypto economy? What? All kinds of different things. Digital economy, when's that going to happen? What else? War. war, yes, war. Bombs flying in, in uh, Ukraine right now, and the threat of it hitting a nuclear power plant. My goodness, these are concerning things. What else? Education system. What, what could you possibly be worried about with the education system? Anything else? The, the next virus. Yeah. How about the government? Do you have any concerns about the government? Do they make you anxious in any ways at all? Huh? <laughs> oh, my. Doesn't matter who you're supporting. Doesn't matter who you're behind. It's anxious-making stuff, is it not? Oh, my. The supply chain, what's happening. I was in a restaurant the other day on, on uh, actually Friday night, and at every single, now this was in Canada, but the same thing's happening here. Every single booth had the same message on it. It said, uh, please be patient with your server. We're short staff, and we can't get anybody who wants to work. Shortage of teachers. Clinics closing down. Doctors disappearing. People, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. But there's hope. How would... How would you like to, this, this is not going to be any kind of self-help message today. This is going to be a biblical, solidly biblical strategy for you to learn how to take your own personal fears and send them running in Jesus. Instead of you running... And instead of you shaking, how about if you were able to give your fears a scare that they might shake? I want to tell you that in Jesus' name, that's what he intended you, you and I would do. Amen? 
And so, Father, it is in the mighty name of Jesus that we've come today to worship you. And I just want to yield myself right here, right now. Putting on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, because I can only stand here in your righteousness, not my own, because I have none. The belt of truth that my lips may not move to any extremes or exaggerations, the shoes of good news, because this message is always centered in good news, in hope, and in help in Jesus Christ. I and we take up the shield of faith because that's what it's all about. We're believing in better things in the midst of everything that's going on in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. May your Word is anointed. I'm not. May the two converge in the unique way that you alone can cause it to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you about a time. I have an older brother and an older sister. I'm the youngest in my family. How many of you have had an older brother and older sister? Do you have right now? Did they ever try to scare you when you were a child? Yeah? I, had an, I have an older brother. His name is Dennis. For some reason, he got a kick out of frightening me. I was four years younger than him. He loved to scare me, especially on Friday nights when we would come home from a movie at that stage in our lives. We went to the movie theater on Friday nights and walked home in the dark, in the woods. He loved to scare me. And so... I don't know what all happened, but one day I got the opportunity to pay him back for everything on one occasion. (laughs) Back in the 80s, as a young man, I actually became a real estate broker in the Seattle area. And as you know, or might know, in the Seattle area, starting back in the 80s, Built, custom builders started to do a thing they called the Street of Dreams. They were custom homes built on a block or so, block or two. Homes built that 99.9% of people could not afford. They had all the extras and amenities galore. They were enormous homes, gigantic, beautiful in every way. But because I was a realtor... I had a key to those, all of those homes, and after the couple of weeks that they, you know, people paid to go and see them, I could get in them for free. My brother came to visit. My wife was heavy with child. That's how long ago this was. And I said, hey, it was a Sunday night. I said, hey, why don't I take you to the street of dreams, and we'll just have fun, go through all these homes. Oh, they were so excited to do that, of course. And so off we went. We were the only ones there. And so house to house to house to house. We got to a house. And, and, you know, I'd have to admit, I'd seen so many houses that I I was very, I'm impatient anyway. God's been dealing with me my whole life. Anyhow, I was just moving along through these houses. And my wife and my brother were just going along, ooing and gooing and gaga over every, oh, look at this, look at this. Oh, wow, yeah, wow, that's it, what? I was two rooms ahead of them, and I walked into this room, and there was a built-in closet or or built-in shelf, right? Only on one of the panels, there was a little note card that said it was revolving. 
All you had to do is push this button, and it opened up. Oh, my goodness. You're, wait until I get there. She already knows where this is going. I see the opportunity. I get in there. It's totally dark. There's no lights on inside like my picture, but that's the only picture I could get. I get inside there. It shuts. I'm waiting, 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 and then I finally hear the voices. Now, looking back, thank God my brother was out ahead of my wife, who was pregnant with child, And he says, oh, look, Cindy, this is a revolving unit. And he hits it. Any idea what I did? As soon as that thing opened up, there in the dark, I I ripped a yell. Ah! Now, you've been to the Grand Canyon or other places like it. You've heard the echo. Only I put the echo into him. He started going, ah! He was literally running and jumping around, I kid you not, just going crazy. I had given him the scare of his life, right? What a naughty boy I was, but boy, did I feel good about that. Redemption happened in that hour. Now, I want to talk about Israel's fear, and then I want to talk about yours. I want to take you to one of the days in the life of the children of Israel that was one of the most scary, scariest days in their life. You think, can anybody think of when the Israelites had a scary day? Help me. Any, anybody? They had plenty of scary days, but this one was, this, was one of the scariest days in the history of Israel. Mount Sinai. That's a good one. The Red Sea. The Red Sea. The Red Sea. The Syrians. They had a lot of different scary days, but we're going to the Red Sea. And when you and I, as believers, think the Red, and, and one of the reasons why is the Red Sea is one of those classic framing stories of the movements of God in the history of Israel. It's brought all the way through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and it's actually Moses is spoken of in the book of Revelation. The Red Sea is something that the psalmist continues to go back to and say, here's the faithfulness of God in delivering the people of God, amen? When you and I tend to think about the Red Sea, what do we tend to remember? The, the parting of the Red Sea, right? Mount Sinai is next. And the reality is, we actually think about the deliverance, the victory, the miracle, hallelujah. But what preceded the miracle? Challenge, difficulty, test beyond belief. Hardship, persecution, all the things that actually led up to this time, right? And so we're going to go to Exodus chapter 14 to begin today. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pith. Hathoroth between Migdol and the sea, 
They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now, what I want you to pick up in this, these two first verses is something that, that is very important. I want you to see the leadership of God in the life of his children that he gave them the exact coordinates, if you would, where he wanted them. Do you see that? It's pretty precise. It's pretty specific. A mountain is on one side of you. A sea is on the other And it's like arriving at Deception Pass and finding that you have been able to get the best camping spot. You have got it. The water's on one side, protection's on the other side. It's fabulous. Have you ever had that opportunity? It's fabulous until it isn't. What looked like an incredible blessing ended up looking like they'd been entrapped by God because he led them there. I'm going to give you three rules for living in crisis, three rules that I'm going to call Red Sea rules, three rules to think about when you're dealing with difficulty, hardship, challenge. And I want to let you know that it is in these places, when we're in the hardest places, most difficult places, scariest places, that we're tempted to actually think God is not there. That he might not even be real, that he doesn't even care. But I want to suggest to you a very different narrative today. That he, in fact, is the one that led you where you're at, and he, in fact, is the one that is with you in the midst of it. Rule number one, wherever you're at right now is where God's got you. Simple rule. Wherever you are at right now is where God's got you. Now, if you're in a great place and things are rolling really well and all your relationships are going well and your boss has actually given you a promotion and your neighbors have brought over gifts to you, and you know you just got a windfall from somewhere financially, and you're just saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord, good for you. Because there are those times. Enjoy them. Hopefully you have a lot of them. But if you're in a place right now where you're frightened out of your wits because there's crisis all around you, your boss doesn't like you. Things You're being told to do things that, that actually are against your holy convictions. You're being pushed on. You're having conflict potentially at home. You're struggling with your children. You're at odds with this or with that. Then this is a different thing, rule to accept, isn't it? whole lot harder to say this is where God's got me, Right? But so important that you and I do. I would imagine that every one of us who love the Lord here today have prayed often, Lord, I want you to use me. I want people to see Christ in my life. I want people to see a difference. I want to speak a difference. I don't know of a true Christian that doesn't feel that way, which leads me to the second thing. Verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, And he will pursue them, pursue the Israelites. 
But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. The second rule is this, when you're in a crisis, friends, when you're in difficulty, when you're frightened, when you're scared, God's glory is more important than my relief. In fact, can you say that with me? God's glory is more important than my relief. That's not the way we think of it humanly. We think our relief is actually what brings God glory. Like, get me out of this, God, and you will be glorified. No, that's our thinking. The fact is, friends, when everything's going great in our lives and we're on top of it, we think that's when people see Christ in us, the victorious Christians who are blessed beyond measure. But I want to tell you, it is in those times and places when you are in the greatest difficulty and struggle that the glory of God is seen in your life if you actually trust Christ. If you actually give thanks, if you actually don't melt... Which leads me to where I want to go this morning. And the third rule. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. Now remember, God said he was actually going to get them to come back. And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. And note this, what did they do? They cried out to the Lord in their terror. They weren't just scared. They hadn't been just frightened. They were terrified. Okay? This is, this is an extreme. They are out of their minds with fear, and by all means, they should have been, shouldn't they? They had just spent 400 years in bondage, cruelly treated, harshly dealt with, treated as though they were animals, told when to get up, what to eat, how to work, how long to work, what to say, what they couldn't say, when to go to bed, beaten. Oh, my goodness. Life in Egypt. Hallelujah. No. Their enemies are back after them. Rule number three is when you're in a place where you're frightened, afraid, scared, terrified, your enemies are after you, nothing's going right. Pray, pray, pray. It isn't the last resort. It ought to be the first thing that you and I do. (laughs) Too often it is, oh my goodness, has it gotten that bad that we have to pray? (laughs) What a carnal attitude. Oh my. Oh my. Now listen, the kind of prayer that I want to talk to you about today is a different kind of prayer. There's different kinds of prayer, you understand. Most of what you and I do is what I would call devotional prayer. Now, I want to be careful to say there's nothing wrong with devotional prayer. It's a good kind of prayer. And when I say devotional prayer, we're praying for things like, hey, I'm praying for Pastor you know, Mark, and I'm praying for the overseers. I'm praying for Marty and Nate and, 
and John and others. I'm praying for the leadership here. I'm praying for Susie, who's struggling with some work situations. I'm praying for Frank and Jenny. They have a crisis at home. I'm lifting them up. This is a devotional-style prayer that you and I ought to be about every day, but that's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about this morning. The kind of prayer that's actually going to send your, your fears running is what I call crisis mode prayer. The kinds of prayer, the kind of prayer you pray when you are scared out of your wits, when your back is against the wall, when you don't even know what to pray, it's been so hard and so long, okay? Crisis mode prayer. Now, why do we need to learn this? Why, why am I so passionate about this? Because I once was young. And for some of you, I still am. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but now I'm old. And I do know what I'm talking about. Every true follower of Jesus Christ will repeatedly find themselves in seasons of crisis and difficulty. Is that true or not? And I want you young people in particular, I, 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 if you can receive this from me, it, it is, this may be one of the most important things that I can give you today. Because I can't tell you how many people I've seen fall away because when they get into a place of crisis and difficulty, they think that the Lord didn't do anything about it. And if you'll even receive the two points I've given so far is the fact is actually God brought you there. And second, he's trying to teach you how to trust him in the midst of it. Listen, Jesus is the cause of much of our crisis. Well, how could that be love? (laughs) I think we've got such a twisted and distorted view of what the love of God is today. Oh my goodness. God, in fact, God loves you so much, he's gonna work in your life whether you want him to or not. Because you and I would block him. Listen, that, that scripture right there, Matthew 10, 38. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, what are we talking about there? Jesus is saying, as my followers, in following me, what was the cross? The reality is... When we follow Jesus, we have to take up the things that he actually tells us to. We have to be about the things that he calls us to do. We have to say the things that he calls us to say. We have to walk in the truth. And when we do, we're going to be crucified at times. Amen? Simple as that. Listen. If you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, are we followers of Jesus Christ? Is it that, that's why we're here. Maybe some are still considering the decision, and bless you if you are. Maybe you'll make it today. 
If our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we follow, ended up on a cross, if you follow him, one day you'll be there too. In fact, you'll be there multiple times. Not in the same way, not for the same purpose. But if they hated him and you're his, then they're going to hate you too. Now, I know that that's not very fun, and it's like, oh, my goodness, why would I sign up for that? Why why would I sign up for that? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. Because he is the truth. Because he is the way. Because he alone is God. Amen? That's why. Now, I want to take us back to the prayer of the Israelites. There's a fabulous little devotional written by Robert Morgan called the Red Sea Rules, of which I've drawn heavily for this message, okay? In that little booklet, in that little devotional, he says the Israelites' prayer that day was urgent. In other words, they were all in this urgent mode. It was ununited. It was united. They were all in agreement It was unfeigned in that it was sincere. They meant it. Get ready, I'm about ready to throw you a curveball. And then he says, it was unbelieving. It was unbelieving. How do we know? Well, we got to go back to the text. Don't take it from me. Got to go back to the text. And look what we find. Look what we find in the text about their prayer. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now stop and think about what Egypt was to them and what they're now saying to the man of God, the leader, the pastor. They go on to say, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? In other words, let us live in this life of bondage, in this place of cruel torture, in this place where we're abused every day. Just let us live here. Oh my goodness, give your head a shake. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and die in the desert. Oh, really? Amazing. You see the unbelief? How many like chocolate chip cookies? What are chocolate chip cookies without the chocolate chips? What's a smartphone without a SIM card? Remove the SIM card from a smartphone, you got a dumb phone. What is prayer without belief? Now, here we go. We're sitting here under the teaching of God's word. And if you were me and I were you, I'd be saying, Lord, how do, how do I know myself? Don't you want to know how much unbelief is a part of your own life? Because the thing of it is, is it's like everything else in our lives. We get blinders on. 
And in fact, some of the people that are actually the most unbelieving believers don't even know it. So I'm going to try to help expose for you what it might be so that you, not for the purpose that I'm going to beat you up and rough you up spiritually, no, but for this purpose that I might help you to see and evaluate for yourself how significant this is in your life. Nothing exposes our unbelief more clearly than our grumbling and complaining. That's what the text was saying. They come into a place of crisis and difficulty and all of a sudden they're pointing at the man of God and saying, this is your fault. Now, I believe that, I, I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit gave me a simple little insight into this. Okay? And I'm going to offer it to you. Because here's the reality. I felt like the Holy Spirit helped me to see that grumbling, our grumbling and our complaining acts as a corrosive, if you would, and it actually gobbles the faith right out of our hearts. The faith that we did have, the belief that we did have to move on, to believe, to to keep going ahead when we grumble and complain Our grumbling actually eats the faith right out of our hearts. Now, is that true? Think about the last time you were around some grumblers. Think about whatever the topic was. And think about how you felt when you left. Like it zaps the faith right out of you. And the reality of it is, is it can happen as much with our church friends as our lost friends. Isn't that true? Where we're standing around and we're talking about all the bad things that are happening and now we're just amplifying and feeding fear instead of faith. Here's the interesting thing. There's two common responses. If you can think of a third or a fourth, you can let me know. But I think it really does come down to two most common responses to crisis. Faith or fear. People who respond in faith tend to pray. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you respond in faith and with faith, you pray. People who respond with fear, be they Christian or not, tend to complain. If fear is ruling in your life, what will come out of your heart is complaining. Now, those who pray are far less likely to complain. And those who complain are far less likely to pray. True or not? So then that begs a question, doesn't it? What tendency is yours? I want to ask you, how is it that our faith gets so twisted up at times with fear? Why is it that we flip and flop? Now, the truth is, we all flip and flop at times. The question is, 
How much? None of us are perfect in this. Not even close. Why is it we get so twisted up, turned around, upside down, and those of us who are faith-filled find ourselves whining, grumbling, complaining, going on, and actually spreading fear like a virus with other Christians? Why is it? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the twisties? It would make sense that we get twisted up with the twisties. How many of you watched the Olympics last summer in Tokyo? Anybody watch the Olympics? Five of you. Excellent. (laughs) Very athletic congregation, I see. I've always loved the Olympics. I'm, I'm very athletic, not very good at athletics, and my old body just keeps breaking down, and less and less can I do, but <laughs> I still try. There was a gymnast that went to the Olympics last year. Her name was Simone Biles. Simone Biles is considered the GOAT, greatest of all times, at female gymnastics. Now, this isn't an argument. This woman has been so fabulous. She has flown so high and twisted and turned and done all these crazy things so big and so wild that she creates new events, procedures, and they call them the biles. That's how good she is. When she arrived at the Tokyo Olympics last year, she was expected to win more gold medals than any gymnast had ever won at an Olympics. She was expected to win a gold in everything she did. And the very first event was the vault. And the world is watching. And the praise couldn't have been higher and the excitement greater as she starts running down the, the, the path to the vault, and she jumps, she springs off, hits that vault, goes up in the air, twists and turns and rolls, and misses the landing. And everybody goes, what happened? What just happened? What did we just witness? The world's shaken. And then the next day, she withdraws. And the world's shocked. And then comes this word that most of us had never heard. She got the twisties. I don't know what your reaction to that was. My reaction was, what? What kind of an excuse is that? You're the greatest Olympian ever and you're making excuses. You got the twisties. And then when I got educated, I thought, Oh, my goodness. It was explained that when she actually runs and hits that springboard into the air and touches that vault to fly some 15, I don't know, 10, 15, I don't want to exaggerate, but she's so far up there, it looks like she's headed to the moon. She has... Less than a hundredth of a second to decide in her mind if she's twisting, turning, rolling, tumbling, rumbling, whatever it is, or landing. And if you glitch 
for a split of that hundredth, I don't know how to I don't know how to divide these things. If you if you hesitate for even my hesitation, it's already past a hundredth of a second, it's like five. Then you get twisted up. And it becomes all up here, right? What's that got to do with us? I think that this happens to you and I in our faith far more often than we realize. And what's getting twisted up starts with this. So you and I have a book. We call it the Bible, the Word of God. And in churches like this, though they're getting fewer and fewer today, there's still the belief that this is the inherent, inspired, eternally true Word of God given to us. And that we base everything that we believe, that we act and behave, everything is based on this standard. Everything gets measured against this standard and what God has said. Bless you and your leadership that that's your stance. But here's what's happening, happening in our day and age all the time. Our minds and what we say we believe are actually getting twisted up with our hearts and what we feel. You realize that? What we know to be true in our minds from the word of God versus what we feel is right. And when you and I come back to the influence of our world, that that our world is based upon what feels right to you in the moment, even about who you are, like you can change who you are in a moment's time, according to the world. And you can get your entire life twisted completely up. To where your head and your heart, yeah, that didn't work again, Mark. So, well, it did. There it is right there. I'm seeing it. Awesome. It worked perfect. Your heart goes over the word of God. Your feelings are more important than what God's word says about any given situation. And when that happens, you and I have committed idolatry. And our idolatries will get us lost. Because when we start operating by our feelings, which can get really twisted up, you know that and I know that. When we start thinking about what we think is right and wrong, what we think is fair and just, what we think is good and bad, what we think God ought to say, When we get that flipped around, friends, we're in a lot of trouble. There's no stopping where you can get to. Even in the name of Jesus. We're doing it in the name of Jesus, but I'm questioning what Jesus. Because it isn't the Jesus of the Bible. Where are you at on that?
Oh, I know you're tempted. So am I. To question what God has said or what God is saying or what he's doing. But let me encourage you to stay in the eternal wisdom of God's word and to submit your mind and your heart to it that he might continue to direct your path straight. Well, listen, how do we deal with the twisties? Three, three things. We've all got them. First of all, acknowledge to yourself, you've got them. You deal with them. I deal with them. No one's immune to them. We have times when we want to go with what we're feeling rather than what God says. The first thing that you and I need to do is confess that we struggle with unbelief. Listen, for you to under- struggle with unbelief at times in your life doesn't make you an unbeliever. Doubt is not a terrible thing. There's times that you actually need to have some doubt and work it out. Don't let that threaten you. That doesn't make you an unbeliever. God makes room for our confusion. What he doesn't make room for is us choosing to sin in that sense. Now, he'll forgive us. I'm not saying that. But the reality is that he's asking us to follow and obey So we struggle with unbelief. I love this passage, Mark 9, 22. The father comes to Jesus. He's struggling. He's got a son. His son is totally incorrigible. His son is totally whacked out. His son is totally unmanageable. And in fact, in Bible times, they would have called that demon possessed. We don't do that today. We can't do that today in our world and society in that we don't call a lot of things what they are, do we? The man, the father comes to Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, I always am taken by Jesus' reaction. If you can, (laughs) question mark, said Jesus. Do you know who you're talking about, too? (laughs) Do you realize that you're talking to the one who made you, and you're saying, if, condition, like if you could? And then Jesus said this to him, and he says it to you. Everything is possible to him, to the one who believes. That's what faith can do. When you hold on to faith, friends, Everything in your life can work out in its time God's way where he's glorified and honored because faith is what's getting you past it. And then the man said, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. And here's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Help me in my unbelief. Amen? Have any of you ever been there to where you're going, oh God, I want to believe, I want to believe, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. Have you ever been there? I've prayed that prayer hundreds of times. <laughs> Lord, help me. I'm so unbelieving right now, but help me in my unbelief. Amen? And he will. Take a posture of humility and ask. Number two, here's the thing. In order to deal with the twisties, that's what we're talking about. First, you confess it. Second is you have to actually exercise your belief. We say, Pastor Kevin, that seems pretty silly. What are you talking about? Well, here's what's not silly. The fact is faith doesn't work unless you put your faith to work. I want you to hear that. 
Faith doesn't just work. It doesn't just happen. If you don't actually exercise your faith and put it to work, it doesn't work. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the deal. Jesus said, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, the mountain is the impossibilities in our life, the difficulties that we cannot handle, the things you and I cannot possibly change, Go throw yourself in the sea. There's the faith confession. It does not doubt in his, their hearts, but believes what they say will happen. It will be done for them. Think about that crisis right now, that challenge, that difficulty, that thing that's overcoming you, that thing that you're tended to, to complain and grumble about to others. Think about it right now. What is it? Because we've all got one. That's the mountain. Belief does its best work when it's aimed directly at your biggest fears. You know what the challenge is? For most Christians, the challenge is we're not even praying about the things that are most troublesome to us. That's how our faith has been eroded. Praying directly about our biggest fears, our greatest difficulties and challenges, and our most challenging circumstances. Are you praying about the things that are actually eating your lunch right now? Are you praying about them or have you just given up and are just going on? That's the second thing. You got to exercise your faith. Confess that you have unbelief. Exercise your faith. And the third one is you see it. Quit complaining. Now, the great thing of it is, is me being here as a guest, I don't know who the complainers are in this church, but every church has them, some more so than others. The problem is, you don't know who you are because you've become blind to it. You complain so regularly that you don't actually even realize you're doing it. And the wisest thing you could do, if you could do this, is humbly ask those around you, is that me? And be ready to receive an answer that might actually hurt. Because it's always hard to hear that we're doing the things that we don't want to do. Look at this incredible verse. You've read it so many times. And as I've looked at it in this context, it's just shocked me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Check this out. Is this not actually saying that if you and I would just quit complaining and arguing and grumbling and whining, that alone would cause us to stand out like we were a star in the black sky? That alone would cause people to go, oh my goodness, there's something different about him and her and them. There's something different about those teenagers. There's something different about those older people. My goodness, they stand out like a light. Just if you quit complaining. The challenge is that too many of us are working too hard to fit in than to stand out. And so you go, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Kevin, what, how, how would I even do that? Like everybody around me complains. Like this goes on all the time. 
do you really want to know? Because I'm going to share with you, if you really want to know, there is a way. And so I'd say, Mark, wow, buddy, it's clear that you're really upset and distressed over this. And this is distressing stuff. There's no question. I'm not going to take a shot at him. This is distressing stuff. We're going to pray about it. I'm not going to ask him, do you want to pray about it? I'm just going to say, we're going to pray about it. I'm going to bow my head and start praying right now. I'm going to take us to the Lord. It's going to switch the whole thing. Well, you say, hey, how could I do that at work? I don't know. Why couldn't you? Why don't you let them know? Hey, friends, wow, this is distressing. It's tough. Our country's coming apart. The government's blowing up. Everything's going crazy. How about if I take a minute and pray into this for us? Well, clearly, that would be more challenging. But some of you have the faith to do that. Let's look to God. We're going to wind down. You want to get, give your fears a scare? Because I told you I had a strategy for you. You want to send them running instead of them causing you to run? Let's head back to the closet. Remember that closet of mine? I was in the dark in that closet. What if my brother would have thought just a little bit differently, like you could think just a little bit differently about the things that keep haunting you in fear because they keep coming back? What if my brother thought, oh, the little guy's out there ahead. I haven't heard him for a while. I bet he's up to something. What if when that, that panel started to open up, what if my brother would have let out a roar? I guarantee you, I would have, I would have jumped. <laughs> Guaranteed. He would have frightened me instead of me frightening him. What if you actually gave your fears a scare by you actually addressing them before they come upon you and take you over? How do you do that? Well, I want to encourage you to identify the hairiest, scariest reality in your life right now. What is it? What is the one thing right now, one or two things that is eating your lunch that, it, that you may have even blocked out of your mind? What is it? And then set those things as a target. What's happened is is that we've lowered our targets. We're not even praying into the things that really matter. And the fact is we need to raise our targets up and start praying about things that we can't change. You see, we pray mostly about the things that we can change. The things that we can do something about. I want to encourage you. I'm not here just for an exercise today. Would you let me help you? Would you allow me? If this isn't biblical, then throw it out. If this isn't actually what the word of God says, then don't have anything to do with it. But if it is, don't be just hearers. Allow me to help you. If I'm going to help you, you're going to have to act on it. If you don't act on it, if you don't commit to act on it now, you're going to walk out of here and nothing's going to happen other than you saying, well, that was a kind of an interesting message. I'm encouraging you to write down the number one, two, or three things right now in your life that are eating your lunch. That cause you to stay up. That right when you get out in your car and you drive off, are going to jump back on you. Money worries, health issues, relational problems, challenges at work, challenges in the neighborhood. Write them down and lock those targets in. Then I'm going to encourage you to commit yourself to pray for 30 days. 
Now, here's the thing. Am I saying that in 30 days this is all going to change? No, I'm not. I can't make that guarantee, can't make that promise. But I'm, what I'm saying is if I can get you to actually commit to doing it for 30 days, it's going to change you. And it's going to help you to actually learn how to, to exercise the weapon of your warfare, which is prayer. And then here's the prayer. I'm going to not just encourage you to pray in Jesus' name, which is a biblical prayer, but I'm going to encourage you to start those prayers by saying, I am praying in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, why am I going to encourage you to do that? Because you and I need to remind ourselves who we are praying to and what he is and who he is. He is mighty. And so I am praying in the mighty name of Jesus for the mountains in my life to move. Name them by name. I'm praying that knees will bow that are hard right now. People are going to come to Christ. I'm praying that tongues are going to confess around me that Jesus is Lord. I'm praying for this. I'm praying that demons are going to flee. We've all got them. We've all got demons that are trying to get at us all the time, don't we? Not talking about possession. I'm talking about harassment. Happens all the time. I'm praying in Jesus' mighty name that strongholds in my life will break. I'm praying that faith will rise in my life. I'm praying that salvation will come. We must never forget the outcome of the Red Sea. What Moses said to the people that day is he said, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And here's the reality. What happened to them is going to happen to us. And all the enemies around the camp and all the enemies around the church and all the enemies that are coming against the people of God today are going to see the mighty Lord Jesus return. Not because of anything you and I did. But we better be standing and we better be faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful today for our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the word of God. Where would we be without Jesus, number one, and where would we be without his word? We'd be tossed to and fro. We'd be upside down, Lord. But we're praying right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you might give us, God, that you might give us the ability to believe. I pray that faith would rise up here today. Even so, at Northwest Baptist Church, fresh faith. I pray against the spirit of complaining in my life. Start with me, Lord, and in our lives. I'm praying, Father, that you're going to help my brothers and sisters exercise their faith. I'm praying, Father, that you're going to help them to be victorious in Jesus and to overcome their fears. We're praying these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to, as, as we close, and I know Pastor Mark's going to lead us in a song, but I just want to let you know that if you'd like someone to join you today before you leave, in aligning their, our hearts together for something in your life that's 
really eating your lunch, then don't walk that way, walk this way. And there are two or three of your overseers here. And I'm going to ask those overseers if they'd come up right after the service and spread out across the front here. Nobody's going to pray with me, but I would want you to pray with them because I'm leaving and they're your shepherds along with your pastors. Pastor Mark will come down as well. Let somebody pray with you. That would be a really good start on this. Thank you so much.